And uh, I believe that was the song that, uh, that Bill sang for the ladies yesterday. We gr they greatly appreciated uh, him being able to put that together, um, kind of the last minute too. Uh, but uh, very, very, very nice to have that. And I know uh, Rick Sigmund's been w working on possibly a new website so that we can load sermons on the website. Well, we have, a, she has special links for the special musics as well. But uh, we appreciate that. And if you turn in your Bibles this morning to the book of Mark, we'll be in Mark chapter 13 this morning. You know, last Sunday morning I preached an overview uh, of the armor of God and spiritual war warfare. Um, well, I got a little bit in depth on it, I guess, as well. But I plan to kind of break that down uh, piece by piece over the course of the next few Wednesdays and continue that theme uh, on Wednesday nights uh, for, with a brief Bible study uh, just before prayer meeting. But this morning I'm returning now to Mark. Last Sunday we had uh, a message from Mark as well as, you know, that's been the series we've been in. We're really drawing to conclusion now. And uh, part of the way that I had scheduled my sermons out of Mark had been to end the, with the book of Mark with Palm Sunday, Good Friday, and uh, Re Resurrection Sunday. And then maybe, you know, message out of the Great Commission, which we had last Sunday night. We also went back the previous Sunday night, going back to the uh, feeding of the 4,000 and the 5,000 and the, the leaven of the Pharisees, because we, we ended up skipping that. I took too much scripture one time, so I had to take part of that and make its own special message. And the same situation happened here with Mark chapter 13, because this falls right between Palm Sunday and Good Friday. And so I, I wasn't able to cover all that. I probably already covered a large chunk of Scripture on Palm Sunday. And so today we're coming back to Mark 13. And it's um, appropriate to come to this passage at the end of Mark as well because it speaks of future events. In fact, I have titled this message, Jesus Tells of Things to Come in Mark 13. Jesus Tells of Things to Come in Mark 13. And so we're going back to this Olivet Discourse, uh, where he takes the disciples into the Mount of Olives, and Jesus is looking out across at the temple, at the city of Jerusalem, from the Mount of Olives, before going to um, participate in the, the Lord's Supper, the Last Supper with his disciples, on the, Passover, the night of the Passover, where the uh, city of Jerusalem is celebrating the Passover meal with that lamb and the unleavened bread and, uh, and, their, and he, we're going to remember that last supper tonight I mean this morning <laughs> we're not going to preach that late uh, this morning but uh, uh, after the message this morning if I have to if I get too far into covering too many details here uh, we, we can even break this off into another to be continued but I'm, I'm planning to cover this entire chapter this morning and in this passage of Mark chapter 13, as Jesus tells his disciples, particularly um, his inner circle of disciples, Peter and John and James and Andrew, these four, he tells of the things that are to come. 
Uh, some of the details for this is filled in in Matthew chapter 24, which is the parallel passage. Mark gives us the smaller, um, more specific, more precise account. Matthew fills in a few of the details, and Mark refer to that here and there throughout the message. But in Mark chapter 13, God gives us four. He gives uh, four four commands, we could call these, to his, to the Jews, really. Uh, he's speaking to his inner circle, but it's going to extend beyond them to his people, the Jews, and those who will read this in the future, including us, but especially to the Jews, the nation of Israel, for whom God still has a plan for the future, even though as a nation, as a race of people, they have mostly rejected Christ as their Messiah. There are still Messianic Jews who have believed in Jesus Christ for salvation, and they will be raptured at the time of the rapture. But the Jews, mostly as a nation of people, are still looking for their Messiah to return today, especially the Orthodox Jews. And God has a plan in the future where they are going to see the truth they're going to recognize that the person they're thinking might be the Messiah, who's going to be, turn out to be the Antichrist, is not the Messiah, and that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. Two witnesses in Revelation will bear witness to that fact that at least 144,000 Jews will get saved and also become witnesses for Christ during the tribulation period. We're going to look at how these events take place as Jesus tells the disciples in these four ways that we'll look at of the things to come. First, Jesus warns his disciples in verses 1 through 8. He warns his, again, he's speaking directly to these four disciples, his inner circle, but furthermore for the Jews, for, for believers in the future, not to be deceived. Not to be deceived. And certainly we should not be deceived today. Look at the opening verses of Mark chapter 13. And as he went out of the temple... One of the disciples saith unto him, Master, see what manner of stones, what buildings are here. Now, if we're just reading Mark, we might stop here and think they're admiring the temple because it's such a beautiful building. Now, remember, they're looking at a distance from the Mount of Olives to Jerusalem. They're looking at a distance. But what Matthew chapter 24 fills in for us is that Jesus has just told the disciples about the abandonment of the temple in the future, and they can't believe it. How could the temple in the future be abandoned? What's going to take place to cause this event? Because how beautiful is the temple? How could this become abandoned in the future? And Jesus goes on to answer that in verse 2. And Jesus answering said unto him, See thou these great buildings, there shall be, there shall not be left one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. This is ultimately, this is going to be fulfilled in A.D. 70. Rome will come through and they will uh, torch the, the temple, essentially burn it down so that the gold on the stones of the temple melts. And as the soldiers loot that melted gold, they are chiseling it off of the stones, and as they try to get to all of that melted gold from the fire, they leave not one stone standing upon another. 
and that is going to take place A.D. 70, uh, as Titus, who is then a general, uh, destroys the temple, conquers uh, down the rebellion there at Jerusalem, and he will go on to become Caesar. This is a future event, often in Bible prophecy. You have one prophecy, one passage of Scripture that speaks of more than one event. It speaks of an immediate fulfillment and a future fulfillment. And that's what we're going to find in this passage. We're going to find the sooner fulfillment, which is of the destruction of the temple, and then the later fulfillment also of some of the things in this passage that's going to happen during the tribulation. And then a strong admonition at the end of all of that for his disciples and everybody hearing him and everybody reading this today to be watchful for the Lord's coming. And there's uh, two, two comings. There is uh, coming to earth. That is his second coming. He's going to come to earth and set up his kingdom. And that is mostly what is going to be referred to in this passage. But then when he comes back to the end of the passage, we get a good idea that we are not supposed to just be ready for his coming to earth at the set up his kingdom, but also what we see in 1 Thessalonians of the catching up of his church, where we'll be caught up together with him in the clouds and forever be with the Lord. And we will go up and there'll be that period of time that corresponds to the Jewish wedding where, where the church, the bride, goes up to be with him. There's that time of celebration. And then ultimately he comes down to earth to set up his kingdom at the end of the tribulation. So the church will be caught up in the rapture before the tribulation and come down with Christ when he sets up his kingdom at the end of the tribulation. We'll see how these events uh, work out in this passage. But remember, we have these two events, and he's going to refer to that in the coming verses. The immediate fulfillment of the temple being destroyed. Uh, one commentator, Matthew Henry, takes this entire passage and interprets it all as having already been fulfilled by that. But it, we can see there are some things that are still yet to come, starting especially in verse 14, where we see the great tribulation, that the, the destruction of the temple is not the greatest tribulation that has ever been seen on earth. And certainly we can see that as a precursor, as something that pictures what's going to happen in the future, but what's going to happen in the future is going to be even worse uh, when the Antichrist will commit the abomination of desolations that many Jews look back to as a historical event uh, when in between the Old Testament and New Testament time, the Greek ruler came in and sacrificed a pig on the altar in front of the temple. And they look at, back at that, and, and that is a similar event that's going to happen in the future. We'll come to that. But first of all, let's look. Jesus warns his disciples not to be deceived. Verse 3, And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives over against the temple, Peter and James and John and Andrew asked him privately. So notice this entire conversation is being told to these four individuals, Peter, James, John, and Andrew. Privately. Verse 4. Tell us, when shall these things be? So he's already foretold the destruction of the temple. Now they're asking, when shall these things be? Privately. And notice Jesus answering, said unto them, verse 5, Take heed, lest any man deceive you. 
For many shall come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and shall deceive many. And when ye shall hear of wars and rumors of wars, be ye not troubled. For such things must needs be, but the end shall not be yet. And certainly we've had um, false ideas of Christ through every age. Different, uh, different ideas that Christ is just a man, that Christ is only God and not man, that Christ was not born of a virgin, uh, that Christ did not bodily rise, or that he did not pay for our sins with his blood on the cross. These are false Christ, false ideas of Christ, or different people who have claimed to be um, representative of Christ in some way, or even claiming to be a Messiah, for, whether it be for another religion, such as Islam, or, or other ways. There are false Christs and have been. But the end is not yet. The end is not yet. In verse 8, for nation shall rise against nation. We've had many wars since the New Testament church began. Many wars, but the end is not yet. And when you shall hear wars and rumors of wars, be ye not troubled, for such things must needs be. But the end shall not be yet. For nation shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. And there shall be earthquakes in divers places, and there shall be famines and troubles. And certainly we've seen much of that throughout world history and continues today. These are the beginnings of sorrows. But take heed to yourselves, for they shall deliver you up to councils, and in synagogues ye shall be beaten. And ye shall be brought before the rulers and kings for my sake and for testimony against them. And we've seen this happen to believers in the church age, starting with the New Testament church. Even with the apostles. We know that James will end up becoming a martyr just from scripture. And we have from the tradition of church history, we have these the stories, we have the accounts of how the other apostles also suffered martyrdom except for John. And the gospel must first be preached among nations. Again, we have, there's other examples in the Bible. For example, Ezekiel 28 and Isaiah 7.14, where there's both an immediate fulfillment and a future fulfillment. As we get into verse 9, as we get into verse 9, we see that Jesus is encouraging the Jews here to endure their persecution and tribulation. Now, persecution will come to the church as we preach the gospel of grace, as the apostles begin to proclaim the gospel. It's also going to come upon the Jews in the tribulation. The Jews will face great tribulation when they finally recognize their true Messiah and they preach his kingdom is coming to earth. You know, with the disciples during their lifetimes, they were looking for Christ's kingdom to be set up physically. But in the tribulation time, the witnesses for Christ will be witnesses that his kingdom is coming. Prepare, repent. Don't worship the false Christ, Antichrist, but the true Messiah, Jesus Christ, who is going to return and set up his kingdom shortly. The witnesses, some people believe they are two witnesses in Revelation. Uh, Revelation 11, verse 3, that they might be Enoch and Elijah. Some think maybe Moses and Elijah. Whoever they will be, they will be bearing testimony that the kingdom is coming, the gospel of the kingdom. 
And that is the gospel in verse 10. The gospel must be published among all nations. It's easy to get confused on this point. Uh, Matthew is more specific about this being the gospel of the kingdom. In other words, the good news that the kingdom of Christ is about to be established on earth. So it's not that, you know, today there are many languages that have, don't have translations of the word of God. There are still people groups today that have not been reached with the gospel of grace. The gospel of Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins. That does not mean that the rapture cannot happen today. Because when, what is not going to happen before um, the return is the gospel of the kingdom is going to be preached to all. Look at verse 10. The gospel must first be published among all nations, among all peoples. And the gospel, of course, has gone out throughout the world, the gospel of grace. But specifically in the tribulation period, the gospel that the kingdom of God is at hand that's going to be preached by the two witnesses in Revelation 11 and the 144,000 mentioned from Revelation 11 through Revelation 14, that gospel is going to be preached. That good news that Christ's kingdom is about to be established on earth, and it will be at the end of the tribulation period, and Christ will come and literally reign on earth for a thousand years. We see that in the book of Revelation. And that is the gospel that must be published among all nations. Now, our gospel of grace also, we've been given that commission in Matthew 28, 19 through 20. A couple of weeks ago, we saw that last Sunday. We looked at Mark 16, the Great Commission, that gospel of grace we are also to be taking throughout all the nations. We have a commission to do that. And also in the end times, there's going to be a gospel, the gospel that Christ is coming. He is the Messiah. He is going to set up his kingdom. That kingdom that the disciples were hoping was going to be set up during their lifetime will be set up after the seven-year tribulation. And look at verse 11. Look at verse 11. But when they shall lead you and deliver you up, take no thought beforehand what ye shall speak. Now again, remember, there's an immediate fulfillment and there's the future fulfillment. The immediate fulfillment, what's going to be happening in the beginning of the church, and of course then the destruction of the temple in AD 70, there's going to be persecution. The disciples, Peter... James, John, Andrew, they're all going to experience Paul, the apostles, they experience persecution. They suffer beatings, imprisonments, and executions. That's, there's an immediate fulfillment there, and you can take maybe even Stephen as an example of speaking in the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 11, but when they shall lead you and deliver you up, take no thought beforehand what ye shall speak, neither do ye premeditate. But whatsoever shall be given you in that hour, that speak ye for it. For it is not ye that speak, but the Holy Ghost. And that speaking in immediate fulfillment, maybe Stephen, maybe Paul before Agrippa, and cases like that where they're taken, they're imprisoned, and the Holy Spirit gives them the message to say, in that circumstance, Stephen before the Sanhedrin, Paul before Agrippa, in other cases like that. But the future of fulfillment is going to be the end times Jews in the tribulation. When they're imprisoned, the Holy Spirit will speak through them. And this, so this is not talking about how pastors are supposed to prepare sermons. This is not an excuse for, uh, for me uh, to say, you know, well, 
I don't have to study for the sermon. I'll just get up here and God will give me what to say. It's, uh, I have a little story about that. There was once a preacher who was on a train. This is a, re- a true story. He was a friend of J. Vernon McGee. Uh, this preacher was on a train. He was looking over his sermon notes in preparation for preaching. He was headed for a church to speak. And another pastor was on that train. And he approached him and said, are you a preacher? And he said, yes. What are you doing? I'm going over my notes for my sermon. You mean that you prepare your sermon beforehand? Of course, don't you? No, I don't, said the other pastor. I wait until I get up there and the Spirit of God gives me the message. And then the other pastor asked that pastor, the one who was going over his notes, asked the other pastor who said he does not prepare, well, suppose the Spirit of God doesn't give you the message immediately. What do you do then? The other pastor said, oh, I just mess around until he does. And then uh, J. Vernon McGee goes on to say, friend, I'm afraid there's a lot of messing around today. This verse is not talking about that. This refers to day when 144,000 of the nation of Israel are witnesses. This is a message for that day, says J. Vernon McGee. There will be, in that day, as we go down to verse 13, there's going to be a worldwide anti-Semitism. And we've seen, we see even rising anti-Semitism today. We've seen anti-Semitism in the past. We've seen times in our history, world history, where it looks like the kingdom of the Antichrist might be about to be set up. It looked like that, Nazi Germany, Hitler is taking over Europe, and he's committing these horrible slaughters of the Jews and death camps in the Holocaust. It looked like maybe Hitler is the Antichrist. Didn't turn out to be. There are other points in history where there are similar situations. You could go back to Spain in 1588 with the Spanish Armada. A similar situation. The stage looked like it was set. And I think there's other situations you could point to like that. But those were, were two, two examples. And so I think some people may have thought that Nero was the Antichrist. Some people at certain points thought the Pope was the Antichrist. Uh, but uh, different, um, different people at different times thought this person, this Adolf Hitler, it's got to be the Antichrist. It has to be. It didn't turn out to be the case. Uh, we, we have to be very careful whenever we are trying to interpret prophecy based on current events. We have to be very careful with that today as well, as we'll get further into. If we have to, we'll have to continue this next week. But uh, let's look at uh, verse 12 and 13. Now, brother shall betray brother to death. Matthew Henry says this actually happened at the time of the Romans putting down the Jews and ex- ex- exterminating all resistance, uh, destroying the temple in A.D. 70, and finally in A.D. 135, completely scattering the Jewish uh, nation. Now brother shall betray brother to death, and father the son, and children shall rise up against their parents and shall cause them to be put to death. And I believe this will also happen, that this is also talking about the tribulation and the, the Jews that turn to Christ as their Messiah during that time. And ye shall be hated of all men for my name's sake, but he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. Meaning, particularly for the end time Jews in the tribulation, that those 144,000 or uh, the Jews that 
they endure by not receiving the mark of the beast, by not worshiping the Antichrist, they are saved, whether they are martyred or whether they endure to the time when Christ puts his seal in Revelation. He will go and seal Jews that will not be able to be touched by the demonic wrath that is poured out on this earth, and they will be preserved throughout that time of outpouring of wrath during the tribulation, and they will be gathered by the four winds, as we'll see later in this passage, at the second coming of Christ to establish his kingdom on earth. But we see a, a coming anti-Semitism. We see some of that growing today. And makes us, it should remind us that the end times are near. They're always nearer than they were before. If it seemed urgent to Paul in his time, when he wrote to the Thessalonians, as we saw earlier, or last year before Christmas, when we looked at our study of First and Second Thessalonians, and Paul was expecting at any time then, the Thessalonian believers, how much more closer is it today? And how much more should we be heeding what the message, the central message of this entire chapter on which it focuses on the end, which is watch, be ready, be witnessing, be a testimony for Christ. Be watching, be working, be serving the Lord because he is, his return is growing nearer. The third, the third uh, warning, the third Encouragement Jesus gives the Jews here is to recognize the beginning of the great tribulation and flee immediately when it begins. Look at verse 14. But when ye shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, standing where it ought not, let him that readeth understand. Where it ought not, that's going to be in the holy place. Christians don't have a holy place. We don't have a temple on earth. Um, the Jews, the nation of Israel, their holy place is the temple. That's the holy place, and the Antichrist we see in Second uh, Thessalonians is going to proclaim in the temple of God that he is God. That's the abomination of desolations spoken of of Daniel. We could go to Daniel uh, chapter 9, verse 24 through 27 is where this is found. Daniel chapter 9. Verses 24 through 27. Seventy weeks are determined upon thy people. These are 77-year periods. Seventy weeks are determined upon thy people, upon the holy city, to finish the transgression and to make an end of sins and to make a reconciliation for iniquity and to bring in everlasting righteousness and to seal up the vision of prophecy and to anoint the most holy of course, the anointed one, the most holy, is the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And he comes in verse 25. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth and of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem unto the Messiah, the prince shall be seven weeks and threescore and two weeks. The street shall be built again, the wall even in the troubled times. And after threescore and two, two weeks shall the Messiah be cut off. So remember, when Daniel is writing this, Jerusalem had already been destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar. The temple had been destroyed. It's going to be rebuilt under Ezra and Nehemiah. We've looked at that in our study of Nehemiah on Wednesday nights. And they have completed that study of that book this year. And after threescore and two weeks shall the Messiah be cut off. Jesus died on the cross for our sins. But not for himself, says Daniel 
9, verse 26, not for himself. And the people of the prince that shall come shall destroy the city. The people of the prince, that'd be the Roman Empire, emperor, uh, and then it's Titus comes and destroys the city of Jerusalem. The prince that shall come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. The temple is destroyed in AD 70. And the end thereof shall be with a flood. And unto the end of the war, desolations are determined. And he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. Again, you have the immediate fulfillment that's coming that Jesus is talking about, the destruction of the temple in AD 70 by Titus. And then you have the future where Israel today is a nation again. The temple is going to be re rebuilt again. And in the seven-year period, the Antichrist is going to come and claim to be the Messiah of the Jews. And he's going, at halfway through the tribulation, he's going to sit, as 2 Thessalonians 2 records for us, verse 7, starting at verse 7, and records how he's going to sit in the temple of God and proclaim that he is God. He shall cause, verse 27, he shall cause the sacrifice and oblation to cease. And for overspreading of abominations shall he make it desolate, even unto the consumption, consummation, and determined shall be poured upon the desolate. If we look, turn to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, we'll look at what that says here. We looked at this uh, just after the year began. We finished our, in Sunday nights, we finished our study of 2 Thessalonians previously. Let's go back to that. Uh, 2 Thessalonians 2, starting actually at verse 3. Notice the similar wording that we find in Mark chapter 13. Starting at verse 3 in 2 Thessalonians 3, Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come except there coming a falling away first. And that man of sin, that's the Antichrist, be revealed, the son of perdition, who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Remember ye not that when I was yet with you, I told you these things. And now ye know what withholdeth, that he might be revealed in his time. For the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Only he who now letteth will let. That's the Holy Spirit restraining evil in this world today until he be taken out of the way. And then shall that wicked be revealed whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. Antichrist is going to have his moment, but Jesus Christ will return and defeat him in the end and set up Jesus Christ's kingdom on earth as recorded in Revelation. So this abomination of desolation mentioned in Daniel, Daniel is described in 2 Thessalonians 2 that we just read. The Antichrist declares himself to be God in the temple. And then verse 14 in Mark, in Mark 13 speaks of Israel when the Antichrist sits in the place where he ought not. That's in parentheses. Let him that readeth understand. Uh, standing where it ought not. The Antichrist will stand in the place where he ought not, sits in the place where he ought not, the holy place, refers to the temple, specifically dealing with Israel, not the church. The church has been raptured by this point. We're dealing with Israel and the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy to Israel. God still has a plan for his nation of Israel. Israel is Israel. The church is the church. The gathering of the elect from the four winds, we're going to get to that next also refers to the Jews, to the 144,000. It's not talking about the rapture. Rapture has already taken place by this time. It's talking about the Jews. And we know that also from Zechariah 2, verse 6. 
which is speaking of Israel. It speaks the same language. Let's read the following verses. Verse 15, Let him that is in one housetop not go down into the house, neither unto therein, to take anything out of his house. Let him that is in the field not turn back again for to take up his garments. So in other words, when the Antichrist sits in the temple and declares himself to be God, look out, God is about to pour his wrath out on earth. And we see that recorded in Revelation. The terrible things, one-third of all living people are going to be destroyed. One-third of the uh, drinkable waters, the rivers, one-third of the sea, one-third of the land. It's all going to be destroyed in the tribulation. And Jesus says, once you see that happen, that marks the beginning of that great tribulation like you've never seen before. Run and hide at that point. As soon as you see the Antichrist proclaim himself to be God in the temple, know that God's wrath is about to be poured out. Verse 16, And let him that is in the field not turn back again and take up his garment. But woe to them that are with child and to them that give suck in those days. And pray ye that your flight be not in winter. For in those days shall the affliction such as was not from the beginning of the creation which God created unto this time neither shall be. That's how we know it can't just be talking about the destruction of the temple here. It's talking about the great tribulation spoken of in Revelation. Verse 20, and except the Lord had not shortened those days, no flesh should be saved. Everyone would die. But for the elect's sake, that's the Jews, the 144,000, those Jews that are sealed by God and protected in the tribulation, whom he hath chosen, he hath shortened the days. And then if any man shall say to you, lo, here is Christ, or lo, he is there, believe him not. For false Christs and false prophets shall rise and shall show signs and wonders to seduce if it were possible, even elect, the, we know from Revelation, the beast and the prophet, the false prophet, will be able to work miracles and try to deceive many people and kill those who refuse to worship them and take the mark of the beast. For false Christ and false prophets shall rise and shall signs and wonders to seduce, if it were possible, even elect. But take ye heed, behold, I have foretold you all things. But in those days, after the tribulation, the sun shall be darkened, and the moon shall not give her light. So notice in verse 4 of this passage, when the disciples asked, when shall these things be, speaking of the destruction of the temple, and what shall be the sign of all these things that shall be fulfilled? So Jesus is talking about the immediate fulfillment. What, when shall these things, the destruction of the temple, and when shall all things be fulfilled, bringing about the kingdom of Christ on earth? And so that's what Jesus is describing here. He's described these things that shall come to pass shortly with the destruction of the temple, and then all these things that shall be fulfilled. And he says that in verse 23, Take heed, behold, I have foretold you all things. But in those days after the tribulation, the sun shall be darkened, and the moon shall not give her light, and the stars of heaven shall fall, and the powers that are in heaven shall be shaken. And when shall they see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. And then shall he send his angels and shall gather together his elect from the four winds from the uttermost part of the heaven uh, from the earth to the uttermost part of heaven. This is what is quoted. This is a quotation from Zechariah 2 verse 6 dealing with the nation of Israel, not the church. Church has already been raptured. Uh, Zechariah 2 so this is the second coming of Christ, and this is Jesus gathering his Jews from all corners of the world to be in Israel, where he is setting up his physical kingdom, and he's returning all the Jews, and this time it's going to be return in obedience, not like the return we see today that began in 1948, where they are still rejecting Christ as their Messiah. 
But look at Zechariah 2, uh, verse 6. Ho, ho, come forth and flee from the land of the north, saith the Lord, and I have spread you abroad as the four winds of heaven, saith the Lord. And that we have a reference to the four winds and the elect is dealing with Israel. And we, we can get into Babylon. We don't have time to get into all of that right here this morning. But look at verse 28 through 31. This again speaks of Israel. Now learn a parable of the fig tree. When her branch is yet tender and putteth forth her leaves, you know the summer is near. You know the summer is near. So ye, in like manner, when ye shall see these things come to pass, know that the time is nigh, even at the doors. Once again, there's going to be the signs of things. That they're going to see it coming. They're going to see the destruction of Jerusalem come, this generation. And by the way, the, immediate, the fulfillment of a generation. We, the fig tree throughout the Bible is used as a picture of Israel. Not just here, but throughout the Bible. A fig tree is a picture of Israel. When you, Israel is that timepiece that you can watch and you can say, okay, this is happening with Israel today, so the, few, the end times are near. So in like manner, you shall see these things come to pass and know that it is nigh even at the doors. Verily I say unto you, verse 30, that this generation shall not pass till all these things be done. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away. And the whole, whole message could be preached from verse 31. I had a large section on that in my notes. I so won't go into it to, at this time. But uh, about the generation shall not pass. A generation. Remember, there's an immediate fulfillment. A generation shall not pass. When Jesus is speaking to Peter, James, John, and Andrew. Most of them, if not all of them, uh, excuse me, John will live to see that day. Peter, I believe, is martyred before that. We know James is. I believe Andrew is as well. But John will live to see the destruction of the temple. But the, to the actual fulfillment of all of this that Jesus is talking about with the scattering of the Jews, that will take until AD 135. So when does the clock start? When do we say a generation shall not pass? Many believe that it was 1948, Israel became a nation again. Others would say perhaps it is June 7th, 1967, when the Temple Mount was reclaimed by Israel. And of course we know uh, at some point they're going to rebuild their temple. It may be after the rapture. They could build this very quickly. They're, they're preparing to build it today. They are preparing all the materials, including the sacrifices for the temple. And we know that the Antichrist will sit in the temple and proclaim himself to be God during the tribulation. But from A.D. 33, that's the year that Jesus gives this prophecy, to A.D. 135, when it's completely fulfilled, there's over 100 years past. Is that a generation time? So do we have 100 years from 19, uh, within a 100-year period? That, that's, we're still within that period. So it's hard to say exactly when you, you're looking at current events, when is this going to come to pass? And Jesus tells us, don't try to set the timetable. Look at verse 32. But of that day and of that hour knoweth no man, no, not the angels which are in heaven, neither the Son but the Father. So Jesus limited himself as 
He's fully God, he's all-knowing, but he's also fully human, and he limits himself in this way as God's son, as a man, and only the Father knows at this point, he says in verse 32. Take ye heed, watch and pray. The final conclusion, the fourth encouragement, the fourth command that God gives, that Jesus gives to us, is to watch, to watch and pray, for ye know not when the time is. For the Son of Man is, is as a man taking a, uh, a far journey who left his house and gave authority to his servants. We have been given authority, the great commission, to reach the world with the gospel. Watch, therefore. Okay, and to every man his work. We have been given work to do in this world and commanded the porter to watch. Watch ye therefore, for ye know not when the master of the house cometh and at even or at midnight or at the cock crowing or at the morning, lest coming suddenly he find you sleeping. And then I say unto you, I say unto all, watch. So the point of all of this, Jesus telling all of this future events is Jesus has a plan for the future. He is going to return. He has a plan for his people Israel. And he is going to return in the end. He is going to defeat all his enemies. He's going to defeat the Antichrist and set up his kingdom on earth. And we are to watch. We are doing his work, looking at the return of Christ as it can happen any moment. It can happen any moment. And we should be ready and watching, be aware that Israel is a nation again and that the time is growing shorter. And these th four commands, these four admonitions or warnings that God gave, that Jesus gave in his telling of future events. First, in this passage, in preparing for Christ's return, we must not be re deceived by reports of false Christ or wars and rumors of wars. Don't be deceived. Second, Jesus says, prepare for his return by enduring persecution. There's the immediate fulfillment for Believers, and then there's the future fulfillment of Jews in the, in the tribulation. Third, the Jews going through the tribulation should recognize the beginning of the tribulation. What marks that is when that abomination of, of, of desolation will occur, the Antichrist sitting in the temple proclaiming himself to be God in 2 Thessalonians 2, spoken of in Daniel 9. Fourth, because Jesus could return today, we should be evangelizing and serving Christ in our lives today. Let's bow for prayer.